From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, we've expected this for some time. The signals were, were there, and what we've seen just in the past few days is a sense of how deep the budget cuts could be for public schools and for higher education as we move forward, as we move forward in this uh, very difficult economy and this uh, coronavirus-driven downturn. Really, the story started to unfold late, late last week, uh, after hours on Friday afternoon. Clark, you wrote the initial story about the, the governor's blueprint for cutting $99 million from public education. So let's start there uh, with that story and the reaction, what we've learned since then. Yeah, that was the big story. It broke just a few hours after we released last Friday's podcast, so it's kind of new. Uh, the disadvantage of having a podcast on Friday morning, as yeah. we've seen, is that sometimes news happens on Friday afternoon. It's kind of a new old story in that way, but you're absolutely right about the impact. Um, 5%, almost $99 million. And, and an important distinction here, just so we're clear, this will be applied to the upcoming 2020-2021 budget, and that budget year officially begins July 1st, but the governor issued a memo on last Friday to school district leaders outlining how they could make the cuts to accomplish the $99 million figure in there, and so this was some guidance, and the point of this guidance is to help school officials because right now, um, as a lot of our listeners know, because they're in the thick of it, this is the time of year when local school districts begin setting their local budget for the upcoming school year. And many of them are either at the negotiating table already or about to begin negotiations with their staff for the upcoming right. school year. But there's going to be some big impacts with these budget holdbacks, as you might expect when you're talking about $99 million. One of the main ways that they're going to save some money is they're going to freeze everybody in place on the career ladder and that's the state's salary allocation model and so all people services and instructional staff all teachers will remain in place on the career ladder next year at the same place where they were at this year and that's going to save about 26 million dollars right there they're also cutting a combined 14 million dollars between technology and IT uh, positions. They're cutting content and curriculum. They're reducing discretionary spending by more than $20 million. They're foregoing raises for administrators, those 2% raises they're gonna forgo. And they're suspending the leadership premium salary bonuses for one year. We had a couple of big articles, the first one last Friday, we had another couple of follow-ups this week outlining the specific guidance on the cuts. Um, it wasn't a surprise. We knew that it was coming. Uh, the state had actually asked agencies to begin crunching the numbers on a 5% cut back at the end of March. Uh, schools Chief Sherry Ibarra had warned school administrators in April to plan for a 5% cut, and then it came down in writing with some specific numbers and guidance attached last Friday. Obviously, for it to become official, official, the governor will need to issue an executive order after the new fiscal year begins July 1st, and then also work with the legislature. And that's where, as we sit here on March, March, May 15th, 
this isn't set in stone yet. Correct. Uh, as the governor pointed out in his memo, he will adjust the cuts based on the most recent uh, revenue numbers. So he'll look at the revenue numbers when the new budget year begins on July 1st and act accordingly. So if the if the shortfall is not as profound as expected, perhaps these cuts won't be as deep as expected. But I guess on the other side of the coin, if if the shortfall is even deeper, then you know there may be a need to uh, look uh, for additional cuts. So it's it's a it's uncertain right now because we don't have the revenue numbers and won't have the revenue numbers until July. But well, let's face it, every signal that we've seen as far as revenue, uh, it's not encouraging. It, it's not going to look good. Uh, on July 1st, unless something dramatic changes in the next six weeks. Yeah, April was a really bad revenue month where the forecast um, came in about 60% below forecast. They're hoping that that revenue will come back in June, right before the end of the fiscal year, right before that very important July 1 date. And the reason they're optimistic about that is because Governor Brad Little intentionally delayed the deadline to file and pay your state taxes until June 15th. And so they're hoping that that June will be the strong month that April wasn't, but they do believe that these 5% cuts will be necessary. Um, There's a lot of budget guidance about it. The State Department of Education had a whole webinar um, going through it. And there's been a lot of questions, uh, but the idea is they think it's going to be 5%. That's their best estimate. The plan is to use the $99 million from the cuts to use the federal stimulus funds that are coming into Idaho Mm -hmm. to make up for some of those cuts in strategic areas where they think they can. That's kind of how the governor put forward his guidance on the cuts and cutting some of the things. And we can get specifically to this in a minute, but he wanted to cut some things where he thought there would be relief from the stimulus funds. So you've got the cuts, you've got the stimulus funds, and the state rainy day funds. And that's our strategy right now as a state um, for going forward in, 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 a, in a budget situation. But it is going to be a, a significant cut uh, that public schools are bracing for. Right. And, you know, you mentioned how the governor arrived at some of these cuts and some of the areas that he did cut. You know, notably, uh, the governor did not cut any money from the uh, line item in literacy, which has been one of his top priorities since his election in 2018. So that line item remains intact. But other line items, including the teacher salary line item, the career ladder, which has been another high priority of his, that one is frozen. And that's a fairly significant chunk of the $99 million. You've looked a little bit at how the mechanics of that work. So maybe just kind of briefly walk through how that might work. Yeah, that's probably the area where We've got the most questions, and that was the area where the State Department of Education got the most questions. I'm planning more of a deeper dive type article for late May uh, to really get into this, but I've spoke with a school superintendent, um, the president of the Idaho Education Association, and folks from the governor's office this weekend, so I can answer a couple of questions that I've heard repeatedly. The first thing to keep in mind um, the freezing of the career ladder money, that pertains to the amount of money that the state sends out to school districts for teacher pay. Uh, salaries and benefits will continue to be negotiated at the local school district or charter school level this year, just as always. And so those negotiations 
are taking place or are about to take place across the state right now. And so still subject to negotiation at the local still level. Still subject to negotiation, just as it has been in the past. That's that's one thing to keep in mind. The freeze and the twenty six million that pertains to the amount the state appropriates is a word that you hear a lot in wonky budget language, but it's think of it as the amount of money that the state sends out to your local school for teacher pay. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the minimum state salary set in law, that's going to continue to apply. And, right. and, and so uh, school districts will have to honor that. Nothing is changing with the minimum state salary. That's going to, in fact, I believe that's actually going to be one of the areas where it will increase to $40,000 next yes. year. That's in law. And that's not negotiable. That's not negotiable. That's affected. So every teacher will make at least $40 million. Uh, and cool. that really applies to the entry level teachers at the very beginning stages of their career. And so I wanted people to keep those two things in mind that um, the minimum is there, it's going up. But in terms of if you're wondering, well, what's my actual paycheck going to be? Um, a good guess would be that you will remain on the same place on the career ladder, especially if your district uses the career ladder as its salary allocation model. Just plan on being, if you were on the third, you know, uh, rung of, 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 the, of the professional ladder this current school year, expect to stay on the third rung maybe next year, uh, at least as far as the state of Idaho is concerned. Know that those will be negotiated at the local level and know that the minimums will be honored and will be in place. Right. Another line item that we looked at this week, one that I looked at is the technology line item because uh, the governor's blueprint includes a $10 million cut in the technology line item, the classroom technology line item. That's a line item that's being cut right now in the current year and it would be cut further in the new budget year uh, based on the governor's uh, blueprint for cutting the budget. That kind of got me curious. And as I looked into it, and as I talked to the folks in the governor's shop, uh, the reason they did that is that they are believing that some of this federal stimulus money can be siphoned back into classroom technology. That's one of the purposes uh, that the stimulus money can be uh, used for. So the hope is that uh, this is one area where the federal money can offset a state budget cut. So it's a little bit misleading to look at a $10 million cut in technology and say, well, the governor's trying to cut technology funding right in the middle of this uh, remote learning uh, transformation. It, it's really more of a funding shift as far as uh, the governor's office is concerned. And that's their, their goal here is to try to use the federal dollars to replace the state dollars and use the limited state dollars uh, you know, more strategically to try to protect some of this uh, discretionary funding, this operational funding the districts rely on to kind of minimize the cuts in discretionary dollars and operational dollars. So that was one where it just kind of jumped out at me. I thought we needed to do a little bit more reporting to figure out what's going on there. That's what's going on there. That's uh, what we learned. Yeah, and the, the cuts and the holdbacks, such as they are, they're going to be handled a little bit differently then if, if schools remember the, the Great Recession years and how the state responded to that, for these 5% holdbacks, it's the budget year ahead. So they're not actually taking something away that districts have already received. In fact, the governor and Greg Wilson 
his education advisor were kind of clear that they wanted to tell districts to plan on this before the budget year began. Uh, and the other thing, some legislators are kind of pushing this as it's a 5% cutback for the upcoming year ahead. But for that budget year, we increased funding for education by about 4.6%. So they're thinking maybe overall budget levels could be similar to the current year is one way that some state officials are, are looking this or, or at least presenting it um, to the public. But uh, yeah, it's the budget year ahead. Pushback. There are some uh, Democratic legislators and, and teachers unions have been very quick to say, this is not the approach we should be taking. Uh, they're already pushing back, uh, saying that the governor should uh, look at other ways to try to keep education whole, whether that's uh, using rainy day funds, budget reserves, uh, siphoning money from internet sales tax collections. Um, they're, they're pushing back against the idea of cutting $99 million. Yes. Yeah, we've seen a letter that you know, local education associations, I think more than 60 of them signed on at last yes. count saying we need to provide now more than ever stability and support for our schools. And we need to think about the environment that our schools will, will have in place in the fall and whether it's in, you know, dealing with, you know, more rolling school closures and the need for online learning and technology or whatever, uh, but their 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 point is that you know now more than ever we need to protect education and so there there has been some pushback um, there has been uh, some challenges and some suggestions that yeah let's if ever there was a rainy day fund uh, if, ever, if ever there was a need for a rainy yeah, day rainy fund day. Yeah. look around because it's if it's not raining it's pouring <laughs> yeah yeah so I this debate is just beginning and this process is just beginning so we'll be watching the, the the numbers, we'll be watching the uh, tax collections, uh, the revenue pictures, we get closer to July 1st, and we'll be watching what the governor does when July 1st rolls around and, and see where we uh, see where we go from there. This is a, a fluid situation, but it is a vitally important situation for public schools going forward. And the budget fallout isn't just limited to public schools, uh, we should point out. No, you've done a really good job looking at the impact on higher education, Kevin, and you looked at, again, um, the way this might affect University of Idaho. Right. So we've already written about uh, reactions at Boise State University and Idaho State University, whether it's uh, furloughs or uh, potential job cuts or moving employees off of contracts, making them at-will employees. The strategy at the University of Idaho, this was laid out on Monday in an email from President Scott Green, he is looking at furloughs. He is looking at mandatory furloughs for every employee. The more you make, the more you furlough, the more you, the, the greater the effect. He's hoping that by doing the furloughs, the university will save about $3.3 million. Now that's not enough to cover a 5% cut. So if higher education faces a 5% cut, like public schools, could be facing 5% in general fund money for the University of Idaho translates to about $4.7 million. So $3.3 million in furloughs gets you a good chunk of the way there. It doesn't get you all the way there. And the idea behind the furloughs, and this is why you're seeing not just University of Idaho, but other universities looking at it, is it's a way of preserving the positions 
Uh, it's a way of keeping people on payroll, on staff. Uh, you're not dismantling programs, but you are expecting employees to uh, to tighten their belts. So that's a proposal at this point at the U of I. Uh, you know, we'll see if that uh, comes to fruition and whether they get the savings that they're expecting and whether that's going to be enough. As I say, if uh, if you're looking at 5% cut, probably not going to get the job done, but it will get them started. But it gives you a sense of the uncertainty facing higher education. You, you know that there are going to be budget cuts uh, going into the new budget year. You don't know what's going to happen in terms of enrollment. Uh, Green addressed that in the email on Monday. He said, we're, we're hopeful, but we're not sure. You know, And that's kind of a message that uh, we're hearing from universities at this point and colleges at this point. They hope that they can reopen. They hope that they can have a quote unquote normal semester on campus, but nobody knows if students are going to return or, you know, or, uh, or arrive, new, new students arrive as, you know, as expected. And this is a very fluid situation. I mean, while Idaho colleges and universities are trying to figure out what they're going to be able to do, we saw earlier this week, uh, the California State University system said, you know, we're going to be mostly online this fall. That's a huge university infrastructure. That's, I believe, 23 uh, universities across the state of California. So that's what's happening in another state while University of Idaho, Boise State, Idaho State, Lewis Clark State College, the community colleges here are trying to figure out what the future holds. So again, uncertainty at the higher education level. Yeah, it's an important story and while K-12 public schools were protected from the initial 1% holdbacks from the current budget year, higher education was not. And higher education colleges and universities had some budget issues before this uh, that you've sure. documented over the past year. Uh, the tuition freeze is one aspect of that. Um, but higher education is being hit differently and being hit first. You was looking at erasing a $22 million shortfall. And, you know, Green has said that he thinks they got there. He thinks that they came up with a plan to erase. That's a huge shortfall that uh, the university figured out uh, how to address. And then you tack this on. You, you tack on the, the economic fallout from coronavirus and the uncertainty about what the future holds, again, stemming from, from the coronavirus. So right on the heels of one fiscal crisis, you've got another fiscal crisis. So, you know, the, probably one of the most difficult jobs in, in all of state government right now is to be uh, president of the University of Idaho. And I think that uh, really applies to college and university president positions all across the state. Yeah. And you mentioned the news out of California. And I do have to say, haven't heard anything that firm in Idaho, but over the last three weeks in particular, or in the month of May in particular, at a lot of these state-level meetings, I am hearing more and more policymakers looking ahead to the fall and saying, you know, we do think blended learning, we think online learning needs to be a part of our plan in the fall. Um, there could well be a spike in cases. In fact, I think we heard the state epidemiologist, Dr. Christine Hahn, on Thursday say it is very likely there will be a spike in yep. cases in the fall and so she was pretty blunt you know when the yeah. question came up in, in the presser on thursday the the re, you know idaho you know you know the idaho rebounds uh presser and the question of 
what happens in the fall came up and yeah. Christine Hahn, the state epidemiologist said, you know, we've got a plan on the very strong likelihood that there are going to be more cases in the fall. Yeah. And I know a lot of schools and a lot of parents were hoping maybe even to return at the end of this year and get some momentum started. Uh, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I just feel like it's important to point out that from superintendent of public instruction, Sherry Ibarra, on down the list, I am hearing more and more people talk about how the fall won't be normal. I think State Board of Education member Linda Clark, a past president of the State Board of Education, even said the fall will not be normal. Right. Um, and so that's something that we're going to continue to watch um, this spring, this summer, this fall. Um, but that's a major part of, of our coverage and our plans, and it's a major part of the state's policy setting approach right now um, is both the current and the current times and the, the future ahead. I wanted to shift gears though. Uh, if people need to get caught up, the homepage www.idahoednews.org is a great place to get caught up on the latest with the budget cuts and the financial situation. But I wanted to change gears just slightly. Kevin, you had an update about the lawsuit that Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ybarra filed against her colleagues on the State Board of Education. You got the contract that she signed with her recently appointed special deputy attorney general. And um, you found out a little bit about who's gonna be footing the bill for this and got some new information we didn't know before. What did you find out? Right, and this is a developing story as well. This is something we're gonna be watching in the next few weeks because there's gonna be more, more filings in this case, uh, oral arguments set for June 5th. Correct. What we found out this week was a little bit more of a sense of how much this may cost taxpayers. So, as you recall, when uh, State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra filed her lawsuit a couple of weeks ago against the, uh, the legislature and the State Board of Education, going back to this dispute over IT and data management positions, she hired a special a deputy attorney general who will be He's basically deputized for this case. Yeah. David Leroy, former state attorney general, former lieutenant governor, uh, prominent Boise attorney. This is taking the case. And one of the things we were trying to figure out and finally got some answers about is, well, how much is he going to get paid here? And the contract calls for Leroy to receive up to $200,000. That doesn't mean he's going to get $200,000 or that his firm's going to get $200,000 but that's the maximum. Uh, what this translates to for Leroy personally is his billable hours come, at, come in at $400 an hour. Uh, he has a paralegal who can bill at $150 an hour. So this is, you know, that gives you a sense a little bit of uh, some of the costs here attached to the case. You know, $200,000 in, in the scheme of uh, state spending, worth noting, if you paid the max, if you pay $200,000 uh, for a special attorney general in this case, that exceeds what we pay the elected attorney general for one year's worth of work. Who's that on the other side of the case? Who's on the other side of the case? The attorney general's office is representing the, uh, the state board in so this case. taxpayers are paying, I just want to be really clear, and your story is awesome, but taxpayers are paying the attorney fees on both sides of this case. Exactly. This is a taxpayer-funded lawsuit on on both sides of the equation. Um, you called it taxpayer-funded political theater, I think, a couple weeks ago. 
it, it, it's going, it's, it's a fascinating case. And we've gone into that in, in past shows and that's something we'll, we'll visit further as the case unfolds. I mean, there's a lot of animosity. There are a lot of claims and counterclaims that we're hearing uh, surrounding the, the shift of the positions, uh, you know, that's all going to unfold in the legal briefs, and it's all going to unfold in the uh, the oral arguments uh, that are scheduled now for three weeks from today. Um, but one thing that is certain, and we kind of knew this, but now we have a little bit better idea of uh, some of the dollar figures. Uh, this is coming out of taxpayer funds. <laughs> that's you know, there's yeah. no way around that. That's uh, that's who's paying for it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll continue to follow developments and the lawsuit. We do plan to have coverage uh, of the arguments. And, and that will be an interesting um, day in court because I believe it's going to be conducted remotely over Zoom. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a Zoom, Zoom hearing. And I've never covered a Zoom hearing of the state Supreme Court. So this will be, this will be interesting just logistically because, you know, we've all learned to live with Zoom and you know, with, with mixed results. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll work uh, without a hitch. Maybe it won't. That'll be part of the, the, the fun of tuning in on June 5th to see if the, uh, if a zoom uh, oral argument before the Supreme court uh, goes off as planned, but uh, there will be fireworks one way or the other. Yeah. And that's the thing, this thing, the timing, it's going to come together pretty quickly. I mean, June 5th is just around, the corner, but the the reason why it's happening June fifth is because there's an important July one date, and that's the date of the new fiscal year. I think I probably mentioned it at the beginning of the show, talking about the budget. But this is all about a power struggle, and it's about funding and personnel. And we've talked about it. It dates back to the legislative session, um, but the personnel and the funding are set to be stripped away from Yabara's office budget on July first and then turned over to the State Board of Education that same day. So this will come together quickly, and, and, um, and that's why it's happening in June. Right. So, and, and you know, that's why the Supreme Court expedited the hearing. So, yeah, this is on a fast track. So as if we had nothing else to keep a close eye on uh, this spring, this is a, a case we'll be watching very closely. We're kind of a slow year so far is what I would yeah, say, right. news-wise. There's no other news happening, so... You know, this will this will fill up the the empty hours. Yeah. Speaking of Zoom hearings, speaking of uh, you know doing business in this COVID nineteen environment, uh, you covered a a meeting on Wednesday that wasn't a Zoom meeting that wasn't uh, handled remotely. Well, at least as far as the public uh, engagement part of it was involved. This and you know, it was a state board meeting. Bring us up to speed about this meeting and the uh, and what happened Wednesday. Kind of an interesting situation, and I'm going to throw some uh, caveats out there. And I just want to start with the fact that reporters never want to be part of the story. I mean, you know that, Kevin, as a, as a journalist. And so it's always uncomfortable when there's a situation that you find yourself in as a journalist where you're part of the story, however unwittingly. <laughs> Um, and, and, and so that well, obviously a little bit uncomfortable and a ticklish, ticklish situation. Um, but the state board of education held a strategic planning retreat on Wednesday and strategic planning retreat is just, a uh, 
$10,000 word for an open meeting. Uh, that's all yeah. you have to really think about. It's a brainstorming session is what it comes down to. You're working on a mission statement. And, and Yeah. I heard the word systemness, I think, five or six times. But anyways, the State Board of Education... Wow. The State Board of Education held an open meeting on Wednesday. It was a strategy session to talk about the future of education, to talk about their mission statement, their core values, their objectives and strategies. And the State Board of Education declined to make a uh, stream of the meeting available to the public to allow the public to watch remotely. And this is going to get super complicated. But right off the bat, there's not a legal issue here that I see. This is not an open meeting problem. This is, this is not a, a breaking of the law because the State Board of Education posted the agenda and provided a mechanism for the public to watch the meeting. Um, but the thing that's so weird about it is the State Board has been a leader in providing virtual streams of meetings for years. Um, they meet at universities all across the state, kind of regionally throughout the year, and the State Board has been a leader and shown best practices over the past, uh, it, it, past seven years that I've been working at Idaho Education News. Um, they regularly, the, the norm is to make video of their meetings available live online, either through the State Board's website or its Facebook page or a Zoom meeting or something. And so, which kind of begs the question, and you got into it in the story, and I guess I, I'm asking it now knowing the answer, but yeah, why didn't they do it today, on Wednesday? I mean, if they've been having their weekly meetings during the, the coronavirus crisis on their Facebook page, trying to, trying their best to kind of, you know, bridge the gap here by using technology. Why didn't they do it on Wednesday? Because I think they didn't think anybody cared. And I don't think they think there was any interest. Um, but yeah, so what happened was, is, is I was interested. And the state board announced this. And I got busy earlier in the week. And what I had thought happened was I thought that they had just left the stream information off of the press release that they sent out last Friday, announcing the meeting uh, you know, announcing that it was going to be Wednesday and Thursday and not Monday. And so I thought that they had just left out the information about how it was going to stream. And so at 7.30 Tuesday night, keep in mind the meeting was set to take place at 8 a.m. Wednesday. At 7.30 Wednesday, not, Tuesday night, the day before, I emailed and said, hey, can I get the info for the stream? Or can I get a, a number to call in and just listen to the audio? Right. Didn't hear back. So I got on the phone and email starting at like 7.30 on Wednesday morning asked President Debbie Critchfield, State Board President Debbie Critchfield, for a stream or a link or a way to call in. And she said, no, the only way to do it is the public has to go to our office in, in Boise, which is where I live, and go to the State Board office at the Capitol Mall and watch the stream from inside of our office. That's the only way. And I said, can you make a, a stream available to the public? And they said, no. So they declined the request. And so I went to the state board office that morning and went in the side door as instructed. It was super confusing and would have been super confusing for the public because there was a sign tape to the door that said, due to a statewide emergency, all public access to this building is suspended. Here's the number for capital security. And then beside it, there was a, another sign that said, employees and visitors must wash hands and maintain social distance. But anyways, so the thing is, the state is conducting this strategic 
planning meeting about the future of education, about its core values, about what education is going to look like in a post, you know, COVID-19 pandemic environment. And the concern here is there are transparency concerns, not a issue with Idaho law or open meetings, but at a time when there is heightened public interest about our education system, about the decisions we're making, and we know the stakes are high, um, the state board declined to take this step, a simple step, that would have made the meeting available for the public at large all across the state. Uh, and the meeting already originated as a video conference, and right. several state board of education board. members, including in. Linda Clark, including Emma Ashley, including Sean Keogh, including Sherry Ibarra, the members were allowed to attend via virtual video conference link up, but the public and the media was not. And that's what I don't understand is why did I have to go sit in this office to watch a stream of a meeting that could have been made available to the public at large? That's one thing. The second thing is, you know, there's still the coronavirus out there and the governor's guidelines, which the state board, the only reason I bring up the governor's guidelines is because the state board has already specifically cited the governor's guidelines and so they're the ones who are saying, hey, look at this, pay attention to this. And the governor's guidelines said all public and private gatherings should be avoided. Right. And so what would they have done if 60 people wanted to show up? Um, cared about uh, strategic planning. Yeah, I mean. To, but to me, and this isn't, the thing that I think is lost here. Is this isn't just about, oh, Ed News had to go sit in this room and it would have preferred to watch it at home and not go out. I, I think that's sort of a perception, but to me, it's a public access issue. How could a principal in Idaho Falls, how could a, a parent in Rexburg or Moscow have any hope to follow this meeting? And that's the thing. The state board is so good at this, about doing these remote video meetings and that was just kind of the standard and I just sort of expected that would continue but to me it's a public access issue not a legal issue but and this, what about the what about the parent in Blaine County who's had their lives completely disrupted and unended and, and wanted to know what the future of education is like how could they have followed the state board this week I, this I don't think problem, they could have and this problem was avoidable you know we we talked about, and you talked about it in your story this week, that the state board has had other problems with with transparency, with with remote meetings over the past few weeks in, in, in the wake of coronavirus. So, you know, go back to March 23rd, the meeting where the state board decided to put all public schools on soft closure for four weeks. Uh, that was a meeting that I had to cover in person because the the state board's conference call was just jammed with superintendents, with educators who wanted to find out what was going on. When I tried to call in a few minutes before the meeting started, I was kicked off of the call and I, I called the state board spokesman on his cell phone and said, hey, what's the story? He said, we can't get more people in. We've, we're, we're flooded. Can you come to the meeting? Yeah, I didn't want to have to cover the meeting in person, but there was no other alternative to to cover it. But that's that's unavoidable. You know, that's technology... That's being overwhelmed by the technology. That stuff happens in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I can understand how 
you've got a meeting, you're, you're getting a meeting going and your, your lines are jammed with people trying to listen. That stuff happens. You know, they had a problem in April with a, a meeting that was being held uh, over Facebook Live where the Facebook Live feed kicked off so nobody could watch what was going on and the meeting proceeded. That's, that, that was avoidable in the sense that they probably just should have stopped the meeting until they could get their Facebook feed back on. But technology, you know, we've learned it the hard way, all of us, these past couple of months. Technology doesn't always do what we, what we needed to do or what we expected to do. This wasn't a technological issue. This was a, a policy decision that for some reason the state board thought that this meeting just wasn't as important to the public because the public hasn't been as engaged in these retreats in the past. You know, agencies get themselves into trouble whenever they try to, in my opinion anyway, outsmart what the public is interested in. Just make it available. Just do it in the open. Let the public decide if they care. Because I got to tell you, you know, as I looked at the coverage of this uh, strategic retreat from Wednesday, you've got to be a big fan of state education policy. You've got to be an aficionado of state education policy to be that interested in the six-hour meeting. But you hold the meeting in public. You let the public decide if they care. And you know, that's not even erring on the side of transparency. Transparency is where you should be at all times. And that's what 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 I found kind of jarring about this one. Yeah, and I, I and I you know I just want to be really clear. I know people think that I'm being a jerk about this, and this is coming out of nowhere. But I, I just want to say that I, I think Kevin, for you and me both, and, and I don't want to speak for you, so I'll let you respond. But reporters shouldn't say how they feel and shouldn't have an opinion. But public access and transparency is the one area where we break that rule, and we knowingly do so. But that's something that we value. That's that's a core value for us is government openness, government transparency, and government accountability. And so that's why we we push for that. We think that the State Board of Education or any governing body is making important decisions. They're paid. The State Board members aren't paid, uh, but their budget comes from taxpayer dollars. And we think and that I, that should be... That, and I'll say this, and I think I'm speaking for us both here, too, is that these transparency issues are even more complicated for, for us as reporters and for agencies in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. It's much more difficult for us to do our jobs and it's much more difficult for state agencies to do their job in a pandemic. I, I get their, I get the complications on their end. It's complicated on our end. I mean, I, I don't want to have to make the choice between covering the news and, you know, preserving public health, you know, doing my part to try to, uh, to slow the spread of a pandemic. I don't want to have to make that choice. You don't want to have to make that choice. We've had to make that choice over the past few weeks, whether it's the end of the legislative session or, you know, state board meetings that for one reason or another, we had to attend in person. And, you know, again, technology gets in the way sometimes. Technology doesn't do what we want it to do all the time. And sometimes we've got to respond to covering things when there's technological glitch. This wasn't a glitch. This was a choice. And that's a problem. Yeah, it wasn't a glitch. And so like, yeah, that's where the rubber meets the road for me is, you know, why does this even matter, Clark? Just shut up. But I was trying to listen to the things that the governor had said. I had worked from home totally remotely since noon on March 16th. It's coming up on, it'll be two months tomorrow. And I've covered the governor. 
weeks. I mean, we're doing this one over, uh, you know, over. We're doing this over Zoom. I haven't seen you, Kevin, since the legislative session ended. I haven't physically seen you. Um, but I had worked completely remotely since March 16th, almost two months, able to cover the governor, able to cover Superintendent Ibarra, able to cover the state board until Wednesday. And that's what it came down to is I felt like I had to make a choice between doing my job and public health. And I texted State Board of Education President Debbie Critchfield a couple of minutes before Wednesday morning's meeting started and said, I want you to know, I want to go on the record before the meeting starts that I don't feel 100% comfortable having to be here in person and that I thought a stream should have been made available to the public. And so if you're saying, okay, Clark, what's the magic solution? How do we handle this? <laughs> you know, A, A, it's not up to me, but I just think um, do both. I think the simplest thing that you can do is have a public component of the meeting available. And if you want to show up uh, in person, show up in person and watch it or watch the stream from the next room. But I think have the stream alongside with it as the option. So, so do both. That's how I think you solve this. Uh, and, and, you know, this is what we saw this at the end of the legislative session. One of the real blessings that we have covering the legislature. It's it's a good thing for us when we're at the legislature in person, but it's especially important if we're trying to cover it away from the state house. Is the uh, the Idaho in session feed that Idaho Public Television does? That's the only way we could cover the final few days of the legislative yeah. session remotely. You know, we could watch the hearings, we could watch the floor debates remotely while trying to to do our part to, to flatten the curve. You know. Again, do both. You make it available in a streaming option, make it available in a virtual option, which I hope we continue to do long after coronavirus goes yeah. away. We're learning things about trying to make government more accessible. And we're having to learn it in real time. We're having to learn it you know, with some hiccups along the way. But let's not throw these lessons away. These are, these are good things to do down the road. These are best practices in the making. Let's learn to do them even better. It's just, yeah, it was just so weird and, and, and so bizarre because on the one hand, the governor governor's saying avoid gatherings and wear masks in public. To, to the point where when the governor did a, an important press conference on Thursday about uh, his uh, reopening of businesses, his Idaho rebounds plan, that was all done remotely. We were all uh, in, a, uh, in a virtual news conference with him. There were, I think, he and Dave Jepson, the head of health and welfare, the state, state epidemiologist, uh, Christine Hahn, maybe a couple of staffers were in the governor's office. Looked like they were all six feet apart from what I could see on the video. We were all, we were all calling in. That's how things are being done these days. So yeah. a very strange uh, turn of events with the state board this week. And we have more about that. If you want to read more about it, read Clark's story. From yeah. It, yeah, it sure was strange and it was uncomfortable to write. I mean, just, for the record, to close it out here, I don't think that there's a boogeyman. I don't think the state board did it because anybody's a bad person. I, I think they didn't think about it. I, I think they did not think there would be public interest in this meeting. But I don't want the takeaway to be, oh, this reporter is upset that he had to leave his house and go to this meeting. I want the public takeaway to be is what's the best practice for the most transparent thing to involve all Idahoans and, and allow them to hear these important policy discussions. That's what I want to take away to be. We not have a next time here, you know, and again, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Who knows how much longer we'll be in this pandemic, but let's, you know, let's learn from what we're doing right and wrong 
like I say, I think there are some best practices in the making here. Let's uh, let's try to build on them. Let's try to do better. Yeah, and they have always been the the track record with the state board is they have always been so good about the documents they make available and about the video, the live video feeds that they make available. Um, and they are trying. The, the they are trying. Has, absolutely. You know, I have to give them credit for that. But you know, again, you know, there there are lessons to be learned. You know from this meeting and you know, lessons that we learned from what's happened in the past. And I think they are trying to learn. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully this is a one shot. Hopefully this is one and done. Yep. Absolutely. I, I think that be good to move on. Anyways, that's everything that I really wanted to get to this week. I know that was a lot. I know that last segment at the end uh, was kind of long there. And so it it, it it went long, not because I feel like this is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And we need to like, debated ad nauseum a little bit. I wanted to explain my thinking and explain why I felt like this was an issue, not to say that this is some horrible earth shattering thing. I more or less just, it may have been unclear why this was an issue to us or to me. And I just wanted to sort of explain where I was coming from in a way. So I think this is a good, this is a good conversation for us to have. And hopefully it's a good conversation for listeners to, uh, to, to listen to because I think one of the things we try to do with this podcast is we try to tell you the stories behind the story. And in this case, I think the story behind the state board meeting is just the, the, the process, just the, uh, you know, just the having to be there. Yeah. But as you say, it's been a, it's been a big week. We've got a lot on our webpage. Uh, in addition to the stuff that we've talked about here, uh, we have coverage from, Thursday's news conference, uh, Governor Little's announcement about uh, business reopenings. You can also see what he said and didn't say about Janice McGeehan and what he said and didn't say about uh, high school graduations, uh, an issue that uh, flared up earlier this week. If you would like to find out how long it's been since Idaho's governor and lieutenant governor have talked to each other, you should check that story out. Yes, we've got that there too. Uh, so we will have, uh, we have that coverage. We'll continue, obviously, to to track uh, the coronavirus case numbers. Uh, we have those daily updates on our webpage. Uh, we have a weekly update that I do that sort of tries to break down these numbers, which is vitally important, especially even more so now as the state uh, tries to uh, reopen some businesses, tries to relax some of the, uh, the restrictions uh, that have been in place since March. So we'll be tracking those numbers in, in real time. It's been a full week. You are taking a week off, which means the podcast will take a week off next week. We'll take a little bit of a, a Memorial Day hiatus. Yeah, I'm sure there won't be any news next week, so I'm picking a solid yeah. week to uh, taking a solid week to take one off, and so I'm sure it'll be smooth and breezy for you, Kevin. So don't worry about a thing. I'll be fine. <laughs> no, it's a well-deserved breather, and you know, hopefully, I'll be doing the same in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, I owe you it's, one. Been, uh, it's been a busy. Five months, uh, more or less, four and a half months when you factor in the legislature and the coronavirus pandemic and the overlap between the two at the end of the session. It's been it's been a wild ride, uh, well-deserved time off for you, and hope you uh, hope you enjoy some 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 downtime while we... Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I owe you. I owe you big time. Um, I'll, I'll get my time off down the road. Don't worry. Yeah, absolutely. We will be back. In two weeks with a new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast, uh, we'll be back in late May uh, to keep you up to date with the state's response to the coronavirus pandemic. 
We may have news about entering stage three of our Idaho Rebounds plan at that point, and we'll continue to follow all the decisions about school closures and school openings and distance learning. We'll continue to follow the lawsuit as we get closer, and we'll continue to keep an eye on higher education. Kevin, what are some of the things real quickly that you're going to be looking at through the end of this month? Well, there, there's all of that and elections. You know, yep. we haven't talked about elections. Uh, one last reminder on this, and I do have a story about kind of handicapping what may happen with this election and why it's an un unpredictable election. I won't get into all of that in the podcast, except to say, if you're listening to this right now and you have not yet requested a ballot to take part in the primary, uh, time is running out. You have to request your ballot by Tuesday. May and then 19th. You have to get it returned to your county clerk by June 2nd. So if you haven't requested a ballot yet, you have to get in touch with the secretary. If you want your name and address on the Idaho Freedom Actions website, request your ballot today. This will, right? be, your, this will be your moment in the sun, people, yes. whether you like it or not. But seriously, if you have not requested a ballot, it's a pretty simple process. Contact your county clerk or contact your secretary, the secretary of state. And then be prepared to turn that ballot around fairly quickly because it has to be in to the county clerk by June 2nd so it can be counted uh, so that it can be part of the tally that comes out that night. So last reminder on that front, we have more coverage of the elections on our webpage. All right. Hey, thanks so much for joining us as we break down the ever complicated intersection of education policy and education politics. I know we get a little long-winded talking about openness and transparency, so thanks for indulging us in that. Continue to follow the homepage at www.idahoednews.org for all of our news coverage. If you're on social media and big on Twitter, you can give us a follow at Idaho Ed News. That's where we break our big stories and live tweet the latest meetings. Anyways, have a great two weeks. Enjoy the spring. Enjoy the upcoming Memorial Day weekend. And we will see you in late May. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe.